uh, before we dive into God's Word. Um, God, thank you for uh, your Word. Pray uh, that you would be at work in our hearts and minds this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds to help us clearly hear what you would have for us today. Um, God, thank you for the opportunity we've had together and worship and think about um, things going on in the life of the church. And uh, God, now as we dive into your word, um, pray that you would help our hearts and minds to be focused and help us to hear from you. And uh, Holy Father, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we've been moving through the book of John over the last several weeks. Um, this morning, we are up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a fairly well-known Bible story about the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus. If it's not well known to you, I'll read the whole story in just a moment. And it is long, so when I do read it, it's going to take a minute to get through it all. Um, but there are a couple things I want to say about the passage before, before I read it and before we dive into it. First is this, is that over and over, as I've heard this passage dealt with or read things about this passage, there is often a lot said about the sinfulness or the immorality of the Samaritan woman. And while there are certainly some things that can be inferred from um, the passage, I don't want us who are familiar with it to take those inferences too far. And here's the reason why. The passage isn't really about the Samaritan woman. Uh, the passage is about Jesus and what Jesus is offering. She's certainly an important character to the story uh, but taking those inferences too far or focusing on them, I think actually sometimes distracts from what's actually uh, happening in the story. This woman does meet Jesus at the well all alone in the middle of the day at noon uh, when the sun is directly above. It's an unusual time, right, to, to be at the well. Um, it was unusual that she was alone. Later in the passage, as Jesus is having this conversation with her, um, we learn that she's been married several times. It's not currently married to the man she's living with. That too is unusual. It allows us to draw some inferences, but again, we can't take those inferences too far. Uh, neither Jesus nor John tell us any more than these things so far in the passage. And so um, we just we can't take that too far. What we can infer from the passage is that she probably was a pariah among her peers, ostracized in one way or another in her village where she lives. Um, I think that's clear from the passage. And, it, and like I said, if we focus too much just on her story that we don't really know, we run the risk of making the story about her. And even though she is an obviously important character to the story, there's really something else going on. Um, which leads to the second thing here. At the end of the book of John, uh, John tells us exactly why he wrote this book and told these stories. He says in John um, 20, 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John has been selecting specific stories to tell us with a specific purpose in mind. He's not just telling stories that he remembers in some sort of chronological order. He's telling stories for a reason. In chapter 3, directly before this uh, story in chapter 4, he tells the story of Nicodemus, a religious teacher 
who comes to Jesus at night, has an interaction with Jesus, but who ends up leaving that encounter without us really knowing what he took away from that encounter with Jesus. We do see Nicodemus later in the story, uh, later in the book of John, but, but not again right here. We are contrasting that story against the story in chapter 4, where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well in the bright sunlight of noon. If you read John, um, there is this constant talk of light and darkness, light and darkness. And literally, these two stories happen at night and during the day. And in the bright sunlight of noon, we get to see how the Samaritan woman responds to this interaction with Jesus. Right? There's a, there's a purpose for John setting these stories against one another. There's a purpose for John telling us these stories. And that purpose is to help us anchor our faith in Jesus. To help us anchor our faith in like the life-giving um, relationship that Jesus is offering, that Jesus talks about repeatedly in this passage. So I'm going to read the story from John chapter 4. Um, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30, and then 39 through 42. Like I said, it's a long passage. Bear with me. Uh, we'll get through it. It's such a great story, though. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sidon, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus says to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town, were coming to him. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So the story is this, right? Jesus leaves Judea and heads north to Galilee. He's taking a trip north. The text says that he had to pass through Samaria. From a travel standpoint, there were actually many routes that Jesus could have gone. More uh, common routes than what Jesus actually takes. Uh, so the text just sort of makes us wonder whether or not this is a divine had to, right? Like a divine must go through Samaria. Did he have to go through Samaria because he knew he was going to have this interaction? Kind of leaves it open. We don't really know. But most likely. And we see Jesus sit down at a well because he's tired. And a Samaritan woman comes out all alone, all alone to draw water from the well in the heat of the day. Uh, the fact that this conversation happens beside a well, uh, beside a well, is actually pretty important, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But Jesus speaks to her to ask for water, and even though that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, it was sort of unusual that it would happen, that this interaction would take place, right? Primarily because Jesus was a man and she was a woman. Even today, in many, in many Middle Eastern countries, that type of interaction just doesn't happen between men and women in public. It's not unheard of. It does occur. We see other places in Scripture where the same thing occurs. It's just kind of unusual. And even when the disciples come back, that's the thing that they comment on, that he's having this conversation with a woman in a very public way. That's actually one of the most shocking things about this passage even though that seems foreign to our way of life, right? And furthermore, she was a Samaritan. The text already told us the Jews and Samaritans uh, didn't care for one another. Um, and that sort of hatred for one another extends back hundreds and hundreds of years to when the northern kingdom of Israel was ransacked by Assyria. The Israelites who were allowed to stay while others were exiled, or those exiled... Israelites who returned back to Samaria years later. They married non-Israelites. They developed a different way of worship. They didn't accept the same scriptures that their Jewish brothers and sisters did believe. They didn't believe in the law or the prophets or the wisdom literature of the Jewish scriptures. 
They didn't believe there were any prophets that ever came. They only believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they built a temple on the mountain that they're talking, that's mentioned in this passage, right? When she talks about worshiping on this mountain, the Samaritans actually built a temple there. And that's where they went to worship instead of in Jerusalem. About 150 years before this interaction takes place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, a Jewish army actually crossed into Samaria and ransacked that Samaritan temple. So in even having this conversation with this person, Jesus is just crossing all these societal barriers in order to offer her something, like living water, in order to help her see who he really is is. He's just jumped over all these barriers. They don't matter. And so Jesus and this woman go on to have a really intense conversation that is very much in line with the way that John presents Jesus. Over and over as you read stories about Jesus in the book of John, Jesus is talking about one thing. The people that are listening are not quite on the same plane as understanding what Jesus is talking about until there's finally this point where Jesus and the Samaritan woman get to the same place in the conversation, the results are pretty dramatic. Like when you read the conversation and you read the interaction, it, at the end of it all, she gets it. Right? The story starts with her seeing Jesus as just a Jewish man that's asking her for water. Then it moves to her calling him sir over and over and over, seeing him as sort of a respectable person. Then in the story, it moves to her calling him a prophet. And then at the end, recognizing him as the Messiah, the Savior, not just of Jews, but of Samaritans as well. Right? This, this Samaritan woman who was ostracized in her own society most likely She's the first person we see Jesus reveal himself to directly as the Messiah. And she runs away to tell everyone that Messiah is here. And they end up believing too. The whole point of Jesus' interaction with her was to get to that point where she was fully seen by him and not condemned. The point of the interaction was not to confuse her. It was not to have a conversation about the right place to worship. It was not about her marital status or any of those things. The point was to get her to the point of seeing that she was thirsty for living water and that she could find in Jesus something that she had never been able to find anywhere else. Not from her ways of worship, not from her connections to the traditions and institutions of her people, not from her marital relationships, not from her place in society, but from Jesus, an offer of living water was being extended. She eventually gets it. Earlier, I mentioned the fact that this interaction takes place by a well, and that that's actually a pretty important piece to the story in the greater context of Scripture. There's a long history in Scripture of interactions taking place by wells like this. 
There's a fabulous series on this very topic by Beth, by Beth Moore, if you're interested in knowing more. Um, but she delves into this greatly. But for our sake, I want to just highlight a few of the interactions in Scripture that take place by a well before coming back to John chapter 4. Genesis 24, an older Abraham sends his servant on a journey back to the land of his ancestors to find a wife for his son Isaac. When he arrives at a well there, the servant prays that God would make his journey successful. Before he even finishes speaking, he encounters Rebecca. She draws water for him. When she learns who he is, she hurries back to her family to tell them the news of this visitor. Abraham's servant then shares a meal with Rebecca's family and stays with them and experiences their hospitality. And eventually, they all return to Isaac's family. Rebecca and Isaac are joined together and are married. Genesis 29, Rebecca and Isaac's son Jacob has a similar but distinct experience. As he's journeying, he comes to a well. He learns from some, some shepherds that are at the well that he's actually in the land of his ancestors. Before he finishes speaking with them, he encounters Rachel. And as soon as he sees her, he rolls the stone from the mouth of the well. He draws water for her. When he tells her who he is, she hurries back to her family to tell them the news. Jacob then stays put with her family, and he eventually marries Rachel. In Exodus 2, as Moses is fleeing Egypt, he journeys to the foreign country of Midian. He encounters several women at a well. Moses then has to defend them, and afterwards he draws water for them from the well. The women in turn go quickly home and tell their father about Moses, after which Moses is invited to dinner. Moses stays with them, and eventually he marries one of those women that he met at the well. Like you see the pattern of the story, right? Someone goes on a journey to a different place. They meet a woman or several women at a well. Water is provided. Someone leaves to go tell the news. Hospitality is extended to the person on the journey. And eventually two people are joined together or connected in a whole new way. At the most basic level, those Old Testament stories are about the coming together of two parties who don't know each other. That same pattern moves into the story in the book of John. There's a twist with the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, though, right? Jesus isn't there just because he needs water. Jesus isn't there because he's on a journey to find a wife. Jesus is there to offer her living water. He's offering a, a source of life that comes from a connection to himself. He's offering a future where Samaritans and Jews and all true worshipers are joined together in a new way because of Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about in verses 23 and 24 when he says, But the hour is coming, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says this after the Samaritan woman brings up these differences in the way that the Samaritans and the Jews worshipped and the places they worshipped. And the reason she probably brings up those differences was to highlight like the relational distance between Samaritans and Jews or one of the big things that, that caused that relational distance. And Jesus simply says it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Because when you're joined to me, worship isn't about those external things. Worship isn't about those traditions and those places and all of that history. It's about an internal change that happens to everyone who connects themselves to Jesus. Right? Suddenly the Holy Spirit has, has empowered you in a whole new way. And suddenly the Holy Spirit has made us all family. And we can all worship God together because of Jesus. The Samaritan woman talks about her father Jacob in verse 12. She mentions our fathers again in verse 20. But when Jesus uses the word father in verse 23, he's talking about the joining together of people under his name who worship God together because of himself. Right? This story is certainly similar to those stories in the Old Testament. The story isn't about marriage in the same way. But this Samaritan woman does leave her interaction with Jesus to go and convince many people in her community to join themselves with Jesus. Just like, just like she's changed, just like she meets the Messiah and understands who he is, she goes to tell everyone else that the Messiah is here. Jesus' message to the woman and to her people is that he, the Messiah, is offering new life, is offering true life and living water to anyone who would connect themselves to him. Jesus is offering life to all who would unite themselves with him. He's not pointing at them condemning them for wherever they find themselves. He's saying, I see you, and I'm offering you what I have, living water. There's a lot in this passage that I haven't even begun to touch. Right? There's so much in this passage. We could spend a long time discussing it, diving into it verse by verse, breaking it apart, so much here to examine. Like a precious stone, we can turn it and examine all the different facets. But this morning, uh, that's just not what we're doing. Uh, we don't have time for that sort of examination. But what I want to do is just sort of quickly highlight some takeaways from this passage based on what we can see about Jesus. From the story, from the greater story that John is telling us, from the greater context of Scripture. Right? If our time in John is meant to help us see Jesus all over again with fresh eyes, what does this passage tell us about who Jesus is? I'll say this first. 
part of the whole reason that this passage exists, the whole reason the story exists, is to communicate that God is actually interested in being connected to his people. God is actually interested in being connected to people. And Jesus enables that to happen in a whole new way. That's why he has the conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. The whole idea of being connected to the God of the universe, with Him as our Father, is still difficult for me to grasp quite often. It almost seems ethereal and mystical, and it's just hard to wrap my head around. But like we're seeing in our time together in missional communities, praying through the Lord's Prayer, it's clear that God actually is our Father. And that actually means something real for you and me. And what Jesus had offered through this living water actually changes something. It's real. It, it, it makes things different. God is our Father. And God actually wants to be our Father and actually wants us to be connected to Him. And Jesus, He went through Samaria in order to have this conversation with this Samaritan woman so that she and the people of her community could be connected to God and joined together with God in a new way, in a way that they had not experienced before. Like Jesus just ran right through whatever those societal and social barriers were. Like he crossed the party lines to get to her so that she would see that offer of living water. That she would be changed. That the people that she lived around would be changed as well. Whatever this Samaritan woman thought would keep her from being connected to God, Jesus just tore those things down. The point being, whatever we think prevents us from being connected to God, whatever those things are, those things don't matter to Jesus. Something from our past, something in our present, they just don't matter. Because Jesus is there to offer living water, to make things different. They give us a connection to God that's impossible without Him. Jesus came to connect people to God. And our stuff that we think prevents that sort of connection, those things are no match for Jesus. Whether it's our own self-doubt, whether it's some sin from our past that we think defines us, whatever it is, those things are no match for Jesus in his offer of living water. Second, one of the things I think that's important to see in this passage is that Jesus um, is there to unite people together, not to divide them. In specific, here we see him talking about Jews and Samaritans, but when this Samaritan woman asks him about where to worship, like I said, she's highlighting the differences that would keep someone from her, someone like her, being connected to someone like Jesus. And Jesus simply says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Right? The reality of that statement means that the traditions which had divided Jews and Samaritans no longer existed because of Jesus. They were both worshiping God the Father in spirit and truth, then those barriers go away. Right? When we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. We're born again. We're born into a new family. And we can worship in a new way as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
we can see and embrace the truth that is Jesus. And we can do that together. We worship him together. Right? It's, it's a joining together of God's family. It's a bringing together of God's family through Jesus. My point being that there are many people in our cultural context that seek to draw hard lines about who is actually a believer and who is not. There are political lines being drawn today. There are theological lines being drawn. There are cultural lines being drawn. And I could go on and on and on about the ways that we see that happening literally in our society and culture. But Jesus isn't about those hard lines. That's just simply not what we see from Jesus in this passage. Jesus didn't further those divisions. He sought to tear them down and unite people together under the Father because of He Himself and what He was there to do. Third, and this is perhaps my favorite thing about this passage, is that Jesus is not out to condemn. Jesus is out to offer living water. Do you remember John 3.17, the story of Nicodemus that I referenced earlier? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And this is part of what's in that passage. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The most amazing thing about this passage the most amazing thing to me about this passage is that when the Samaritan woman realizes that Jesus knows everything about her, about her past and about her present, whatever it was, she doesn't shrink away in fear or shame or condemnation. There was something about Jesus that kept her in the conversation. There was a realization that Jesus was inviting her into something new. And suddenly the offer of living water made sense. She wasn't finding condemnation with Jesus. Which she had maybe found from some of her husbands. Which she had maybe found from the society at large that she was a part of. She was finding something different with Jesus. An invitation into something better than she knew existed. When Jesus saw her, saw everything about her, she didn't run away in fear and shame. She ran away and told everybody to come be seen as well. To be seen and to be accepted by the Messiah, not rejected. There are many of us who probably would not want our past and present to be fully known. And yet, when hers is, what she finds in Jesus is not condemnation, but the acceptance of living water and a new way of being connected to God and something greater than she knew could exist. My brothers and sisters, if we see nothing else about Jesus from this passage, let's at least see this. That Jesus sees you, Jesus knows everything about you, but his purpose is not to condemn you. Jesus came to earth to do something for you that you could not do for yourself, and he's inviting you into a life-giving relationship where he is offering 
living water. And the call for us this morning is pretty simple. Jesus is inviting you and I to connect ourselves to him in a life-giving way. Jesus wants to change the way that we are connected to God and to others. Right? So the question we have to ask ourselves first and foremost is, are we actually connected to God through Jesus? Is that something that we've considered? Is that something we've done? Because there's no condemnation with Jesus, only freedom. But if we are connected to Jesus, if we have come to faith, I think there are still questions we can ask ourselves. There are, there's still a call for us to say, like, if Jesus has provided a way for us to be connected with other believers in the way that God has enabled us, do we actually recognize that connection? Have we put up fake barriers in our own life um, to continuing to come to Jesus? Barriers that need to be torn down? Barriers that need to be removed? Like, even though we might be in faith, are we coming to Jesus thinking that we're still being condemned? Because that's just not what we find in Jesus. Not condemnation, but life-giving, new way of life. Something greater than we could imagine. The call this morning is just simple. It's this. It's to come to Jesus, whether that's for the first time, or to be reminded that uh, even when we are connected to Jesus in faith, there's no condemnation to be found. There's forgiveness. There's love. There's mercy. There's grace. More than we could ever imagine. And that's what Jesus came to offer that's what Jesus is about. We're going to enter into a time of worship, and I would encourage you to maybe reflect on those things, a time of response, and I would encourage you to maybe reflect on those things if you need to, to spend a moment praying, dealing with that. Um, we're going to enter, uh, in this time of response, we have the opportunity to do some other things. The band's going to come, lead us in a few more songs, and give us the opportunity to worship that way. Um, during this time, we have an opportunity to be reminded of our giving to recognize that our giving is an act of worship. There's a place in the back to give. Um, but also during this time, we're going to take communion. The reason we take communion every Sunday at Redemption is in order to remember what Christ has done, to proclaim to one another that we believe it and that it's true. Um, and so if you're here and want to take communion, I would invite you to come down the middle aisle here, dip the bread and the wine or the juice. Um, Remember the body of Christ that was given for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Um, and to do that together, and, and, and to remember what Christ has done for us, and proclaim to one another that we believe it. I would invite you to come and be a part of that. Quick note, there is no sign about um, wine and juice this morning. So on my left hand is the wine, on my right hand is the juice. Uh, if you want to make sure you get that right. We also have the little cups. Um, that you can take as well. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll continue on from there. God, thank you for the opportunity this morning to be reminded of your grace, and your mercy, and your acceptance of um, your acceptance of us because of Jesus' work. God, thank you that you have extended something to us that we can never extend to ourselves. The offer of being connected you in a whole new way. The offer of knowing you in a whole new way. The offer of coming to you not with condemnation, not with fear and shame, 
but with an understanding, God, that you're offering to us living water. You're offering to us a, a way to be connected to you that's far greater than we could have ever imagined. So Holy Father, as we uh, spend the next few minutes responding different ways, I pray that you would continue to make that truth known to us. God, that you are for us, that Jesus has gone out for us, when we come to you for the first time or again and again and again and not that there's condemnation waiting for us but there's grace and mercy more than we can imagine God we ask all this in the name of your son our precious Savior Jesus Amen